chapter 24. You like musicals? I'll tell you, at an early age, I was exposed to a lot of musicals. One summer, we took this trip from Lansing, Michigan, out to California. Lots of hours in the car. And my parents had one of those eight tracks. You remember those things, those giant plastic, full of musicals. By the time we got there, we knew every, we like ten musicals, every word in them by heart. We didn't have to put it in there. We could just all sing along, one after the other, you know. And one of those musicals was, <laughs> you know, it's funny if you don't know the musical, but you know all the songs. It's it's hard to follow the story. <laughs> But uh, uh, one of those was Fiddler on the Roof. Do you ever see that, friends? If you have not seen that, let me highly recommend that. Very, very enjoyable. Um, just, wow, what a great, great uh, musical. Um, hilarious, great storyline about a, a Jewish family in Russia, and just uh, just opposition is coming, the pogroms are coming, um, just... just Things seem to be falling apart. The reason for the name, Fiddler on the Roof, is explained by the main character, Tevya. There you are up on the roof trying to eke out a tune without breaking your neck. You know, dangerous days he was living in. And he has nothing but daughters, you know, and he's come to this point where he's got to find, you know, a, a, a husband for these girls. But fortunately... In this Jewish community full of tradition, tradition, remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> they have a matchmaker named Tevya. I'm sorry, that's the lead character. Eh, it doesn't matter what his name is. The point is, there's this wonderful song and scene where the, the, the young ladies are imagining the husband that they will have. Oh, make him handsome and rich and this and that and that. And, and I, when I was just, you know, I was probably 11 when I was, I was terrified by the thought that parents picking a spouse for you. I mean, I knew my parents. They didn't seem to be great judges of who would be a good partner for me. <laughs> but I knew the Lord was. The Lord did a great job finding a spouse for me. And we're going to read about the Lord doing the very same thing here in the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. So we're going to have to move uh, sort of quickly here. We'll, we'll try to anyway. And what we're going to see is, yeah, the Lord is at work. Through this whole book, we have seen something that uh, is called providence. The providence of God. Perhaps it sounds like one of those theological terms that nobody really needs. But it is a very, very important concept, my friends. You see, the providence of God is that continuous activity of God whereby he controls and directs all events to their appointed end. God working out his plan. Part of the providence of God was to take a man named Abraham in chapter 12 and make a covenant with him. This is what I have determined to do. I am going to make a nation out of you, Abraham. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you. And anyone that blesses this nation that you will become, I will bless them. But anyone that curses them, I will curse them. And through this nation, I will bring blessing to all the families of the earth. 
It's called the Abrahamic Covenant, friends. If you don't pick up on that in this account through Genesis, friends, you're just not paying attention. That is the key issue of what is going on for the rest of the book. The rest of the Bible, Genesis through maps, my friend. You know, all the way through Revelation and those empty pages in the back, it's all about God fulfilling this covenant. And when we come to chapter 24, we will notice that chapter 24 is preceded by chapter 23. It is in my Bible anyway. (laughs) And you may recall that was the chapter that we read about, the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And as we begin here in chapter 24, we're going to see how the Lord provides a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. God's going to build a nation and think about what just happened. There were two of them, Abraham and Sarah. Finally, there were three, and then there were four, minus one, back to three, and now we're back to two. Hard to build a nation out of two people. But remember, God is the one responsible for peopling this nation. And so notice with me, if you will, that providence of God is demonstrated in causing Abraham to find Isaac a wife. Now Abraham, verse 1, was old. Subtle, but uh, clear. (laughs) Well advanced in years. Yeah, he's probably about 140 by now. Pretty close to it. His wife was 10 years younger and she died at 127. So he was 137. We don't know how much time passed here. But we know he is old and advanced in years. And so he recognized the imminent succession of Isaac. I'm not going to be here for that nation. This nation is my descendants. And those descendants are going to come through Isaac. And how is it going to happen, friends? He's going to need a wife. And so the providence of God is demonstrated. And what has just happened? Why did Sarah live to 127 years? It was the will of God. Why not 128 and a half? was the will of God. And Abraham believed the covenant that the Lord had made to him. Yeah, the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things, the text says here in verse 1. Particularly with the Abrahamic covenant. Anyone that blesses you, I will bless. I mean, it is the ultimate I'm rubber, your glue, whatever you say, bounces off of me and sticks on to you. Anybody remember that? Oh, happy days. Yeah. And so he believed that covenant. God had said, we sang a song. If God says it, he will do it. Friends, I hope that you know that, and I hope that that determines how you live. But God made this covenant, and he would keep that covenant and so he commissioned a servant for the task and notice verse 2 the key element here that we're going to see is separation some very clear instruction my friends the first is don't take a wife from the Canaanites look at verse 2 and Abraham said to his servant the oldest of his household who had charge over all that he had Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth. 
that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And so there is the instruction. You are commissioned now to go and find this wife for my son Isaac, and he must not be a Canaanite. The practice of the Canaanites, my friend, was idolatry. And certainly if Isaac had tied his heart to an idolater, he would become one himself. Look at the story of the great wise King Solomon, whose heart was divided by all of the wives and concubines of other countries. Well, my friends, instruction number one, he cannot marry a woman from Canaan. Secondly, notice in verse five, don't remove him from Canaan. This is the promised land. The servant said to him, well, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which he came? And Abraham said to it, See to it that you do not take my son back there. Back there is where Abraham's family was. The place from which God had said, Leave your family and your country and go to a land that I will show you. And that land is Canaan. And so no, you don't take him back. But here is this, this providence causing him to pursue God, God's provision. Notice in verse 7. And the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. So you don't take him out. But what you do is you trust in the Lord who will provide. God is a God who provides. That's what the word providence means. God who provides. Jesus talked about the providence of God when he talked about, he said, consider the birds of the air. They don't go out into the field and sow and they don't reap and they don't store things into barns, but look, my Father provides for them, and oh, how much more valuable are you than they? God is a God who provides. So don't remove him from Canaan, and trust in the Lord. Look at here, verse 7, uh, we just continue on here. The Lord, the God of heaven, took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land and he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And so trust the Lord to keep his covenant and trust the Lord to providentially lead the whole endeavor that God would go ahead and select this woman. And notice, but, verse 8, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not 
take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter, probably wondering about the whole hand under the thigh thing. Yeah, me too. (laughs) It was definitely a practice. We'll see it again as we continue reading the Bible, but it must have been some kind of cultural thing, something you'll never hear this pastor say from the pulpit. Come and put your hand under my thigh, you know. Well, cultures are weird, but that's, uh, you know, the world in which they lived. So it made it abundantly clear that an oath was being made. And so now that this servant has taken an oath, it had something to do with the fact of, you don't keep this, may your thigh right rot out, you know, and may you never have any more descendants in various things. You know, an oath with a curse, keep it or else. But then here, as we move on to verse 10, we see that the providence of God is demonstrated in the manner which Abraham's servants searched for a wife for Isaac. And notice carefully here how wonderful this whole picture is. The first thing we notice about this servant is he went at it preparedly. And the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city, by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women would go out and draw water. And so here we find uh, that uh, he has all of these resources available. And how? Because God has provided for his master. Abraham has been blessed, as we saw from the very beginning of this chapter. God had blessed him greatly. And so there he is, parked out, waiting for the women to come out. But you will notice he not only came prepared, my friends, he approached this whole endeavor prayerfully. Look at verse 12. We see here in verses 12 to 14 a request. And to sum it up, the request is, oh God, make it clear. And he said, verse 12, oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. That's a key phrase that moves through this passage, the steadfast love of God. Behold, verse 13, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. So let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your service, Isaac. And by this I shall know that you have shown, and here it is, steadfast love to my master. So I'm going to ask for a drink, and anyone could ask for a drink. Hey, you got a pitcher, can I get a drink? But the response that he was hoping for was that one of these young ladies will say, Well, sure, go ahead and have a drink. And while you're relaxing, let me water your camels. That was no small task, by the way. Like a camel, uh, you know, after a long trip, could drink up to 32 gallons. 
And this guy's got a whole fleet of them. And so there he is pursuing this prayerfully. But look at the result here in verse 15. And friends, don't miss this. Before he had finished speaking, before he even got to the, and in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> behold! And here is this word, hina, behold. That's, yeah. And, and, and the response here is you're supposed to go, <gasps> look at that! Before he even finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her to water, with a water jar on her shoulder. He was supposed to go back to his family. And behold, the first girl on the scene fits the qualification. Look at verse 16. And the young woman, little bonus here, was very attractive in appearance. A maiden whom no man had known. And she went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she didn't do this. Well, I never, I'm working hard today at wine and complain, my friend. She didn't do that. She said, according to verse 18, she said, drink, my lord. She didn't even know this guy. Look at the respect. We see, she's from the right family. She's a virgin. She was hospitable, which is enormously prized in the East. She is hospitable. Well, of course, of course, drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. And the servant went, Well, my friends, that's the uh, impression you're supposed to have here. Like, wait a minute. Man, he sure is lucky. Friends, this isn't luck. This is the providence of God. Now, we don't know the details of what caused her to have this particular burst of energy that she could be carrying this enormous jug down to the well, carrying it up in what such a positive attitude, say, why, of course, my lord, and let me water your camels as well. 32 gallons? How much is a gallon of water? What, like eight pounds or something for a gallon? I'll let you do the math on that. Did you raise your hand? Do you know the answer to that? Five? Eight? It's between five and eight pounds, I know that. <laughs> but I'm telling you, friends, 32 pounds a camel, or 32 gallons a camel. This gal was industrious. She was not afraid of work. So she is... She's attractive, she's from the right family, she's a virgin, she's hospitable, she's industrious. 
And verse 20 says, So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And we don't get the idea whether or not the servant said, Well, no, let me help. <laughs> but we certainly get a picture of her, don't we? Now, you and I, we pray this kind of prayer. This is called fleece fleece praying you know it's a it's from an account in judges about uh, laying out these uh, fleece and asking god that will this be wet and that part be dry and this part and you know god show and prove in all of these things well, none of them are necessary but the servant simply asked this early on here in the book of genesis you know lord make it clear and the lord said here we go and the Lord made it clear. But here we come to verse 21, and we notice something else about this servant. He approached this patiently. And suddenly we have all kinds of respect for this guy. You don't think about where he's been. He, he, he says, I better get prepared. Let's take more than enough resources. And let's be quick to pray and ask for God's blessing and his success in this matter. And here we find in verse 21, he's approaching it all patiently. We read, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shackle Two bracelets for her arm weighing ten gold shekels. I mean, she's able to carry all that water. Why not load her down with jewelry, right? <laughs> oh, heavens. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. He didn't know that yet. We know it because we read the Bible. He didn't get the Bible yet. And so he asked, uh, to whom do you belong? Where are you from? So tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah. She bore to Nahor. And she said, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And look at the gratitude of this man. Verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way, the house of my master. See, that's provision right there. That's providence. The Lord has led me. The Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. And Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? 
For I have prepared the house and the place for the camels. So the man came to the house, unharnessed the camels, and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men were with him. And he would say, it's over then. He's done it. He's successful. We still have a family who wants to have an opinion about this. And in that regard, the servant is persistent. He approached it all persistently. Notice, he was determined to give the Lord the glory. Then the food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord has greatly blessed my master. And he has become great. Sounds like the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't it? Hmm. And he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male servants and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master. When she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. And my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, and whom the land... And you know what? Everything in this long passage is stuff we already know. But he can't wait to tell it. Because he's given glory to God. I said, my master made me swear, verse uh, 37, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son, for the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house, and to my clan, and to make a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me, but he said, The Lord before whom I have walked will send an angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife for my son, from my clan and my and from my father's house and then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan and if they will not give her to you you will be free from my oath and i came today to the spring and said O lord the god of my master abraham if now you are prospering the way that i go behold i'm standing in the spring of the water and let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom i shall say Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. And let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Notice the language, whom the Lord has appointed. The providence of God providing for his people. And before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring, and she drew water, and I said to her, Please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give for your camels drink 
also. So I drank, and she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Naor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and bracelets on her arms, and then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. And here he is, persistent in giving God the glory for this event, and persistent and determined to finish his task. And so here he urges the parents to make a decision. Now then, verse 49, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. And all the parties are recognizing the providence of God. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her. Go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. And when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, grateful for the providence of God, the provision of God. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. And now it is morning and someone else has to make a decision. And guys, do you remember how big this was? waiting on the answer, you went through all the planning and then the purchasing and then came the proposal. My idea was to uh, take the engagement ring and put it in a little Ziploc, then hide it in Cocoa Puffs because Melanie went cocoa, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And she opened the box, and cereal went everywhere. And I said, I want an answer. <laughs> and here is the servant doing the same thing. Here at the end of verse 54, when they arose in the morning, he said, send me away, my master. And her brother and her mother said, well, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. And after that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so here we see the last description of this servant in action, his, prosper, his prosperity. He is prosperous in this endeavor. We see here in verse 59, he left with the blessing of her parents. That's successful right there. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister. Now don't miss this, friends. 
and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Ah, sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Kind of sounds like the Abrahamic covenant there a bit, huh? You know, like the stars of the sky, the sand on the seashore. If you can count it, so shall your descendants be. And so they bless, and there's much weeping and crying and hugging, and away they go. In verse 62, now Isaac had returned from Beer Laharoi. And there's a little play on words here going on. Beer Laharoi means the well of the living one who sees. You remember Hagar? Sent out of the house with her son Ishmael, Abraham's son. And there's nothing more to drink. And she's ready to die and the Lord appears to her. They named the well. The Lord sees what's going on. Yeah. And so they sent her away. And here they arrive back home. Verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Laharoi and, um, and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to me- uh, meditate. And so we see Isaac is a man of prayer. And he is in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes. See, the Lord sees. And Isaac raises up his eyes and saw. And behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. This guy couldn't wait to tell the story of God's faithful provision. And look at this picture as we close here. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. We had forgotten about that. A young man mourning the loss of his mother. And God in his faithful provision brings home a perfect match. What a picture, my friends. Hear me when I remind you the words of Jesus. Consider the birds of the air. They're not sowing, they're not reaping, they're storing into barns, my friends. It is the Lord that provides for them. And oh, of how much more value are you than they Our God provides. Let's wrap it up. Sermon in a sentence. God works providentially 
to care for and direct all things according to his will. That is why we pray according to his will. God is working his plan. We see it here in Genesis to make this great nation out of a couple of old people. Working his plan. Providing and caring for them. So in light of this truth that we have made abundantly clear here this morning, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We handed out a half sheet of paper, my friends, with a verse written on it. It's from Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Your experience isn't enough. Because what matters is what God is doing, not what everyone else is doing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that means trust his timing. Trust his timing. In the same way in our account here today, this servant barely finished praying. And behold, there she was. Trust his timing. God's provision and God's time is essential. Because you don't know who needs to be there that isn't yet. You don't know the ideas that haven't come to their mind yet in the conversation that one day you will have. i tell you, when I met Melanie, it wasn't until God had prepared us both to connect with one another There were lots of other girls, friends, that I had seen, I had talked to, but they weren't the right one. It was the one that was perfect for me. And we were ready for one another. Trust his timing. And then a difficult one. Trust his portion. Trust his portion. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, We read, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And finally, build your faith on promises, not wishes. You know, the old song, standing on the promises. Friends, that's firm ground right there. Because God keeps his word. Put your faith in practice. Let's give it a workout this week.